Hello and welcome to our latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast. I'm Ian Doyle. Uh, joining me today are James Pierce, our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, and also a special guest appearance <laughs> for Joe Rimmer, our live blog guru, who we do let do a game every now and again. Now, James, you were at the game against Hull on Saturday. You saw Liverpool you know, taunt them, which seemed fairly comfortable. 5-1 win. Was it as comfortable as the scoreline suggests? Yeah, probably more so, to be honest. I think uh, Hull were left pretty happy that it only ended up five because it, it could easily have been double that um you know I, I think all the talk in the build-up to the game was was this a different Liverpool you know are they now well equipped to deal with teams who who come and park the bus as Klopp put it um and I think the answer was pretty emphatic because they absolutely blew Hull away you know they Hull approached it as we thought they would do you know it was 10 men behind the ball trying to frustrate Liverpool but it was they were fighting a, a losing battle pretty much from the off because you know the the pace that Liverpool attacked with the movement the, the link up play and the finishing as well um, you know people will obviously point to the sending off but you know, it was one one nil by that point it could easily have been three or four um, you know and you I don't I don't think there would have been any way back for Hull regardless of El, El Mahamadi getting uh, getting his marching orders um, you know it was interesting hearing from Klopp afterwards because you know although he was delighted with that first half you know I think he he's a perfectionist I think he was slightly frustrated that Liverpool did pretty much declare with about 20 minutes left um when he clearly I think he'd have quite liked a few more goals but um no it was a great day all round and just so many big performances as well I think you know obviously Adam Lallana got a lot of the credit and rightly so because you know he continued his very impressive start to the season but you could go all the way through the lineup because um you know the, the 10 outfield players all all contributed to a, a a pretty masterful team performance. I mean, talking of Adam Lallana, Joe, there's a, you know there's an argument that could be made that he's probably Liverpool's most consistent player this season. Certainly, he's probably up there with the most improved. I mean, what do you think has been the difference with him this season? It's strange, isn't it? I think Klopp backed him last year, and he, he was always going to be part of the side. And he was one of the players that you might have worried about in the summer in terms of when new signings came in, like Mane, whether Lallana would keep his position. But he's he's dropped a little bit deeper. And he's become an even more influential player because of it. You know, he seems to really link the attack with the midfield really well. I think it's fascinating that a guy like him has stepped it up. Because I think if you think back 18 months during the end of Rodgers' uh, his final full season, you were pointing the finger at players like Lallana, saying that we needed so much more. We needed to see so much more from him, um, among others. And, and, you know, he's turned it completely around. He's added goals to his game. And that... That's a massive, massive difference, isn't it? You know, if, if he can keep this level of performance for, for, for this season, you know, he's going to be Liverpool's most important player and he could be England's most important player if he carries on the way he's playing. James, I mean, we've we've spoken, I think, in the past couple of weeks ago, in fact, about Adam Lallana. And he was one of the players who, when he came from Southampton, in interviews that he did maybe a year later or two years later, he kind of suggested that he'd never really understood just how big it is to play. For Liverpool, but do you think that that's contributed to to his improvements, or it's a matter of him getting his head right and Jurgen Klopp also playing him in a position where at Southampton is where he tended to play and where he did most damage? Yeah, I think probably a bit of both. I think you know he certainly in that first season as a Liverpool player, you know he found it really difficult to come to terms with the, the pressure and expectation of life at Liverpool. I think I remember an interview he did when he said, you know, if you if you're a six out of ten at Southampton, um, you know you you get you get praised if you if you're a six out of ten at Liverpool, you you get criticism, and you know I think it was difficult for him also because you know he wasn't coming into a particularly informed team. Um, but you know he's 
you know, I think you, you could see pretty much from the off from that first game at White Hart Lane last season in Klopp's first game when you know, he fell into Klopp's arms when he came off late on that you you know it was pretty clear that he was a, a, pr- a very good fit for the way Klopp wants to play. Um, it, it's just ironic, isn't it, that by playing him slightly deeper, he suddenly become so much more threatening goals wise. I think you know, playing him centrally is certainly helping. As Joe said, you know he is now the key link between midfield and attack. Um, and Klopp's got the best out of him, and you, you can see he's just he's he's operating like at the peak of his powers at the moment. So full of confidence, um, you know, he's just such an intelligent footballer. It's not just you know people talk about his work rate, but it's, he knows when to press and when not to, um, you know, so win so many balls back, uses the ball so intelligently, and and he you know he was at the heart of everything best about Liverpool in that opening 65, 70 minutes on the weekend. I mean, there's nothing. Surprising with the way Liverpool played against Hull. Hull would have known exactly what to expect. And I, don't, I think probably every other Premier League team knows the way Liverpool are going to approach these games. But they can't seem to do anything about it. I mean, Curtis Davis, Hull centre-back, was speaking after the game. And he said that basically Liverpool didn't give give Hull a chance to breathe. He said when we got the ball, there was like three or four of them on us. He says we were just like panicking, kicking it out of play, that kind of thing. I mean, is that just the kind of thing that Liverpool are now aiming for? Yeah, I mean... It was fascinating because he talked about Arsenal, he compared them to Arsenal, didn't he? And he said that Arsenal do it, but only for spells, whereas Liverpool did it for 90 minutes. And whether they can do it for 90 minutes for every game of the season, well, that remains to be seen. But, you know, with the week's break in between games, there's no reason why they can't recharge their batteries and and, and keep doing it. it. It is a relentless style. You do wonder whether injuries, that sort of thing, will catch up on them if they keep keep playing like this. But right now, it doesn't seem like any team can live with them. But what I thought was impressive the week before is that they went to Chelsea and then they kept the ball, so they didn't. It's not just about winning it back. They they seem to be able to keep it well. Henderson's topping the charts for passing. He's he's doing really well. Wijnaldum is quietly being quite impressive. So I think um, I think it's not just about winning the ball back, and it's not just about pressing. It's actually about how good they are on the ball and when they get it. I think I think I was going to say that the other thing with this Liverpool team at the moment is. If you're an opposition manager, you know it's not as if you can say, right, we just need to stop Coutinho, say, mm. and that will, you know, that will stop the supply line to the to the, to the attacking players or whatever, because it's so, it's working so well as a unit. You know, you could put two on Coutinho, and and then Lalana will hurt you, and you could focus on him, and Mane will hurt you, and then then you've got Firmino if he's not doing it. So that that's been the that was the most impressive thing. Um, about the last few weeks, the fact I think there's been ten different goal scorers so far, which just underlines what a, what a team effort it's been. Um, you know, another player that probably didn't get maybe the praise he probably deserved after the weekend was was James Milner because you know again you wouldn't necessarily think your left back would, would be one of your best players in a in a five one win at home, but but he was. He was. You know, it's it's amazing to think that <clears throat> and it was only three or four weeks ago that everyone was going on about you know that, what a disaster it was not to sign a left back. And you know how can we possibly, you know, for a club of Liverpool stature to go into a season um, with with a, a you know a, a makeshift left back in a in an experienced midfielder like James Milner? But Klopp clearly saw that he had the qualities to do it, and it's it's worked an absolute treat. It was you know he was up against arguably Hull's best player on the weekend in Snodgrass, and he just he didn't give him a kick. He you know he, he rattled him with a few strong t- challenges early on. You know he defensively he was he was spot on. And and just you know he was always an outlet down that left flank you know and you know there was a lot more to his to his game than it, than his goals but you know the way that he put away the two penalties it was just classic James Milner wasn't it just 
minimum of fuss, but very efficient. But we've we've always been a fan of James Milner, haven't we? I mean, we've we've always spoken about you need players like him in the team, and it, that almost I wouldn't say under, undermines what he does. But it's, you've got to bear in mind that this is a player who, an England international, just retired. Obviously, he's played in World Cups and European Championships. He's won the league with Manchester City. You know, when he first broke into the team at Leeds, he was seen as you know a great talent, a great asset, and that's what he's ended up becoming. And he's still, how old is he now? He's in 30, 31. I think he's only 30, isn't he? 30, yeah. Yeah, so he's still got, you know, his pace has never been a great asset of his. So he's still got three, four years easily at a top level. I mean, what have you made of him, Joe? I mean, I know you've always been a big supporter of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it interesting about Milner and I felt a bit sorry for him this season because you, you think when he came to Liverpool, he came with Rodgers and he, he almost came on the promise that he would be a mm. central guy and, and, and be one of the main men. And then to be sort of pushed out at left back. But it speaks volumes the way he goes about it, because he goes about it so well. He never complains. And, um, you know, I think it's good because he can come and tuck in, can't he, and join the attack. So when Liverpool go down the right, he comes across um, from left back and tucks right in and becomes almost another attacking midfielder and makes Liverpool even more dangerous. Um, but yeah, you know, I, th- I just can't say how impressed I am by how he's dealt with it. You know, there would be other players that would say, you know, I didn't come here for this. I'm not going to reinvent myself at the age of 30, but he's just not like that. He's, he's a real example for it, others it, to follow. It wasn't that long ago that he was playing in defensive midfield alongside, I think it was Jordan Henderson at the time, and we all wondered whether or not that was the best position for him. And you saw the game against Dortmund where he drifted out wide. He put in the cross for, for Lovren's goal. And you, you did kind of get the impression then that perhaps his best position was out wide for Liverpool, but probably not a left-back. No, no it's, it is interesting because I think you think, although obviously clearly he's always wanted to play centre midfield. When you look at at Manchester City, you know the number of times he was shunted out wide, and you know he, he played a lot of his football out there. You're, you're right, you know Klopp tended to push even even when he was playing kind of even when he was playing kind of centrally last season in midfield, he was on the kind of the right hand side of the three. Um, so essentially, he was he was a right midfielder, and you know you're right. He he is, he is capable of whipping in some some quality deliveries from the flanks, and you know I think you, you just get so much from Milner because you know it's quite a young team as well. I think it was only him and I think Lallana on Saturday were like over the age of 26. So you know you, you need you need experience like that, um, and he's and I think the other thing with that role he's been given by Klopp is it's not like being a left back in a lot of other Premier League teams. It's not. You know, your your left back. Your job is purely to to shut the opposition out. Um, you know, it's you have such a license to attack and to get involved. You know, and I think you know I've I've seen the stats from the weekend, but I doubt many many Liverpool players touch the ball more often than Milner. Um, and I, and I think you know he's he's really embraced that, and it's yeah, it's testament to his professionalism that the fact that he's put aside any personal disappointment at being shifted around and, and just got his head down and put the team first. It was a good little stat about the, the yeah. young, the, the youthfulness of the team. I don't think I was on to that. This <laughs> really, yeah, very good. Uh, now, somebody else was playing on the other flank at fullback, yeah. Joe, yeah. and you want to speak about him a little bit because you believe that he, again, is another one who perhaps gets overlooked a little bit. Yeah, I think I think he might be the most underrated uh, defender in the league, Nathaniel Klein. I, I think you know you, you think that, that the praise that Kyle Walker gets at Tottenham, but Nathaniel Klein has just been an absolute. Godsend since he's come to Liverpool at right back. He, he barely puts a foot wrong. He supports the attack well. He gives Liverpool. He doesn't have hug the touchline and give them an option. He's solid. Um, and he, you know, last season he did score a couple of goals. He, he probably needs to add a couple of goals this season as well. But I just think 
he's been fantastic ever since he signed, but he just drifts under the radar and you never really hear a lot said about him. Maybe that's a part, perhaps the thing about this whole Liverpool team. You've got there's not a lot of arrogance there, is there? You know, you've got lo- so many players like Milner, like Klein, like Lalana, you know, even sort of Mane, Coutinho, Firmino. They all go about their business quite quietly. They don't seem to shout about it and they don't seem to get showered with praise. But Klein's certainly one that I think deserves more because, you know, I don't think there's many right backs better than him in the league. I mean, the other thing about Klein as well is that I'm now going to put the jinx on it but he never seems to get injured either does he no, yeah. no he is very reliable as Joe said it, I think he is one that's, that kind of goes under the radar a bit because he is just so you almost take him for granted really you know he's a, he, you know, he's a 7 out of 10 pretty much every every single week occasionally 8 out of 10 very very rarely dips dips below that mm-hmm. you know he, he doesn't do a, a great deal of media he doesn't crave headlines he just just gets on with it and you know I think it's testament to him the fact that the fact that he doesn't get talked about that much just shows and what a what a good job he's doing in that team, and it's in, yeah, I think it's interesting actually the the lack of egos in that team, and the the, the lack of kind of arrogance, and you, you you sense that from the type of personalities that Klopp signed this summer as well, because you know, Ragnar Klavin, I've done a few interviews with him recently, and Joel Matip, both you know very very down to earth, you know just you know humble humble footballers who you know just seem absolutely blown away and delighted with their new surroundings and and you know I think you know and they and they've adapted so quickly to it you know I think Klopp touched upon it recently when he said he said you know it's it's for me to try and take that pressure off so they don't feel that expectation when they come to Liverpool and he, he's proved a master at doing that so far because I, I can't remember a season when so many new signings settled so quickly I mean Clavin came into the back four on the weekend and I know you know it, it wasn't the most testing afternoon for him but He's so comfortable on the ball, and you know I think we've seen enough of Clavin already to to know that, that with just over four million pounds, that was an absolute steal. Matip, you know, on a free transfer, looks like one of the best bits of business Liverpool have done in the last couple of decades. Mane, you know, his record speaks for itself already, um, and obviously Loris Karius, another new face that we we saw on the weekend making his Premier League debut as well. And you know, in terms of him, obviously. He'll have much more stringent tests to come. I think you know, we don't think we learned anything about Carrius that we didn't know already uh, on on Saturday. But but clearly from what Klopp said, he'll be he'll be between the sticks again come uh, lunchtime on Saturday at Swansea. I was going to mention Carrius because he, he made, made his debut against Derby last week, and I I gave him a six out of ten. I was getting absolutely <laughs> slaughtered on on social media, which admittedly I'll do anyway, no matter what I give them. But then uh, Andy Kelly was doing the ratings. Uh, the game on Saturday, and he gave him a five, and he was getting even more slaughter. But <laughs> a five because he didn't really have much to do. You know, you could argue that you know, maybe he could have done a bit better for the goal, but then it's a corner, this, that, and the other. But as James just said, Jurgen Klopp made his decision. Clearly, Carrius is the number one. We mentioned this last week in the podcast, saying it was a little bit harsh on Simon Mignolet. Do you think it is, or do you think it's actually good that you know the debate is kind of over now? It's now up to Mignolet to to prove he can get his place back or and it's up to Carrius to prove you know he mentioned after the game on Saturday to prove Klopp right in his decision to make him the number one it's a bit of both isn't it but Klopp had to be ruthless you know he's the one that makes the decision and he's the one that had to you know I felt I felt sorry for Mignolet because I think he had a, he was having a decent season he'd started well I don't think you could point too many fingers at him it was like a ridiculous start area in the season about he'd faced five shots and conceded five goals but didn't really tell half the story that he, he, he played quite well at, at times but Klopp had to make the decision. He's been ruthless. The debate's over. Karius is, is number one in, until such a time as Mignolet proves that he should be number one. And, and 
you don't want you can't have indecisiveness you can't have messing about I didn't like I don't like what some of the teams like Barcelona are doing now where they have like a European goalkeeper I just think you have a goalkeeper and if he's good he stays where he is and Karius is Klopp's man he brought him in he obviously trusts him and I think he plays a lot higher up the pitch doesn't he you know when he's starting point so perhaps that's something that Klopp wanted to introduce and he's a bit more comfortable with the ball at his feet as well I think what, what was interesting that Klopp said after the game when he did a, his separate interview with the, the Monday newspapers, was he, he said that Karius will definitely play at Swansea and he said then he'll reassess it over the international break, which I thought was interesting because, you know, when, when, you know whether he is just saying that for, you know, for Mignolet's benefit to, to make it, you know, to, to say that, you know, it's not a long-term decision. It's, you know, because he, he, he almost went before, last week, I think it was, Maybe even I think it was between the derby game and the, and the whole game. He was asked about the situation, and 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 obviously now his words you know ring ring true compared to what he decided to do on the weekend. But he said you know possibly who knows I could decide to give Carrius these two games. Then come the international break, both keepers will have had the opportunity to show me what they can do. Then I'll make the decision. Um, so you know that was that was his message after the game on on the weekend. But you know I think you 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 have to look at it. Um, realistically, and say that Carius would have to have a, you know, a bit of a nightmare down at Swansea on the weekend to, to lose his place. I think you don't you don't chop and change your keepers willy nilly, um, you know. And I think he'll now have the opportunity to stake a long term claim um, for that for that spot, which you know is tough on Mignolet, who's done very little wrong. But you know, I think he must have feared the worst when when Carius was signed this summer because. Um, Klopp obviously knew him very well from the Bundesliga. He he loves the fact that he's so good with the ball at his feet. You know he thinks he's the perfect fit for this Liverpool team. Uh, and now Carius needs to live up needs to live up to that billing. I mean there were a lot of stats knocking around after the game on Saturday. Almost all of them positive. And I think one of them was that this was the first time since 1895 that Liverpool had scored four goals, at least four goals in each of the first two home games. And uh, Joel Matip was talking over the weekend about. Wanting to make teams fearful, I think. What was the exact quote? Something, we have to make them fear coming to us yeah. or something like yeah. that. I'll be afraid, afraid, be afraid that's us, it, yeah. I'll be afraid of facing us. Do you feel as though Anfield might be getting that back a little bit? You know, Leicester have been put away, Hull. I mean, you know, not certainly Leicester aren't the team they were yeah. last year, at least not yet, and Hull are going to struggle this year. But before 1-5-1, and five, one, you can't really argue with that, can you? The acid test, I think, will be in the next game, won't it? Because they play Man United yep. after the international break. And if you look back to the... The Premier League home game against Man United last season when it was just a dour game and they, they nicked it. If they put United away, I think you know people will not want to come to Anfield. But right now, Leicester have got a lot of problems and Hull are struggling. So we'll see. But um, it, you know it's certainly a good start, isn't it? And I think Liverpool look dangerous in any game. I think that people will fear playing them, whether they're at home or away, because there's so many goals in that team. And they do concede goals, but when you've got a team that dangerous... And you're always got him with a good chance of winning games, and with the crowd behind them and the extra crowd behind them now, now the new main stands opened, I think yeah, I think Anfield has to be a real fortress for them if they want to do things this season. You mentioned the goals then. I think Liverpool have got 16 in the Premier League, and one of the the facts is that none of them have been have been scored by a, a, a you know what we'd regard as a, a normal striker, dedicated striker. And I think that kind of goes back then to what we were saying earlier on about. That's why it's so difficult for opposing teams because it's not like it's not like Liverpool have got a Luis Suarez where you have to try and, and try and have a plan to deal with him because you, you can't just focus on one player because 
the goals are coming right right through the team. Um, you know, I think the only you know like that that firepower is going to do a lot of damage this season. You know, whether it's enough, you know, where it will take this Liverpool team, I think it's far too early to say. Obviously, Man City have been absolutely faultless so far, and it was amazing to think the, the impact that Guardiola's had at Man City in such a short period of time. You know, they're going to take some stopping, but. You know, you, from what you've seen, what we've seen so far, there's no reason for Liverpool to be to be fearful of anyone because they, they do look well equipped for the challenge ahead. You think of the players that weren't involved on the weekend. Liverpool effectively won that game, you know, at an absolute canter without Sturridge before he came on. You know, no Origi, no Danny Ings, no, you know, no Lucas, no Dejan Lovren. Um, so you know, there is depth there in terms of lasting the pace. I suppose the only thing is it was you know, a frustration to concede another goal because. Still haven't kept a clean sheet in the league so far this season. You know, and mm. to concede a goal against ten man Hull, again from a set piece when, you know, I think we were just starting to think maybe Liverpool had overcome their problems defending set pieces. Mm. Um, you know, I, I thought Carrius probably should have come for it. You know, I can understand why he didn't, because it was a crowded penalty box, but you know, I think when a corner drops five or six yards out, you know, I think you'd want your keeper to at least look at be looking to punch it. Um but Liverpool didn't deal with it and paid the price and you know, it's not a, when you win five-one. It's a it's a footnote on the afternoon, but you know, there will come a time when where Liverpool don't blow teams away, and, and there will be a time in the season where they need to need to grind out a one-nil. Um, so I think you know that's that's something that that Klopp will be keen to put right. I mean, before the game, there was a, a breaking story, shall we say, from somebody who wasn't involved and hasn't been involved all season and hasn't been involved since April, and that's uh, Mamadou Sakho, who uh, I know, Joe, you've got a lot of time for him. Yeah. And I know, James, that everybody thinks that you absolutely hate him, which is not true. <laughs> I just had to say that now. That's complete nonsense. However, he has come out and done something on Snapchat. Jurgen Klopp was clearly not very impressed, certainly with the timing of it, and he suggested that he will be dealing with it, if not now, then certainly before Christmas. Joe, as just mentioned then, you've obviously always been a big fan of Sacco, but do you feel as though he's not really helping himself now? Well, I think that, that could certainly be the final straw, couldn't it? it, it... I mean, the timing of it was awful. It was three in the morning, something like that. He sent it out, you know, so you'd think, what's he doing at three in the well, morning? What do you think? If you yeah. had to have a guess, nothing I think... Nothing good you know, could come out of being on social yeah. media at that time. At no, that time, no. yeah, I think... But, you know, we were talking about arrogance before and about how players, they don't don't seem to have egos. Well, he's, he's a big personality, Sacco, isn't he? But he doesn't really fit that that image, does he, With in terms of... You don't see the other Liverpool players, they don't speak a lot, you know, they don't do big things on social media... With Sacco, sometimes maybe it's a bit about him and, you know, he's the Liverpool soldier and all that. And I just think that, you know, perhaps Klopp will, will just draw a line under it now and, and you know, it, there won't really be a way back for him. And especially when the defence is, I know they're conceding goals, but the individuals are playing well. Matip's not going to move. Lovren's look good when he's been in there and, and Clavin has proven to be a, a decent addition. It's just craziness. It's sad, you know, that it's, it's sort of fallen apart for him like this, especially when, if you think back to the Europa League run last year, he was he was such a cult figure within that. But you can't you, you can't afford to do stuff like that, you know, especially when you're already drinking in the last chance saloon. Is, is this Liverpool team that can actually afford to have cult figures if they want to win the league? Because you know, I was a big favourite. Well, not I wasn't a favourite. Joe Allen was a big favourite of mine. <laughs> he, probably, he, was probably, he was probably a big fan of me as well. <laughs> but you know, Joe Allen and but. I was a bit sad when he left. However, you can see the way that the team's gone, that perhaps he wouldn't have fitted in. You know, he became a cult figure. And the, the same thing with Sacco. Do you feel as though maybe there's no need for that? Because it tends to be 
if you're a successful team, they don't tend to have cult figures as such, if you see mm. what I mean, because they just tend to be you know, good players. If it was basically on football alone, James, should Sacco be in the team at the moment? Uh, no, not for me. I don't think so. Um, and I think, it, I think it goes back to, you, you look at the way that maybe Klopp has dealt with Daniel Sturridge, where you know, he, he basically said, you know, this is the way it is for all players. There are no special cases, no egos that are pandered to where maybe they were in the past. Um, you know, you have to train all week if you want me to, to, to be available for selection. You know, that was why I didn't pick Sturridge before the, the Arsenal game at the start of the season. That's why it wasn't a great surprise to see Sturridge on the bench at the weekend. And I think it's a similar story with, with Sacco. You know, yeah, he's a big fan's favourite, but Klopp's ruthless and it's... It's literally you know, unless you buy into what he mm-hmm. what he wants, and whether you know you abide by that team ethic, when where no one is bigger than the team, no one gets special dispensation or special treatment, then you're out on your ear. And you know, Sacco, you know, he's had he's had a lot of chances. You know, I, I you know, you, you think back to you know, the, obviously he was harshly treated by UEFA. You know, shambles the way that that was dealt with. You know, how I don't know how you could be accused of failing a drugs test, then miss a such an important part of your career to then be told, actually, no, you didn't break any rules, forget it, you can start playing again. But all of that came about because he was taking something without the club's permission that he shouldn't have been taking. So again, you know, although he, although the consequences were unfair on him, you know, it wouldn't have happened if he'd played by the rules. Mm-hmm. Similarly, on the tour in the summer, you know, he just had to keep his head down, have his treatment, be around the team, get, you know, get to know the new players and, and that be part of that spirit and camaraderie that Klopp was trying to build. That proved beyond him because he couldn't bother, be bothered turning up on time. He, you know, Klopp wasn't happy with his attitude around the place, so he gets sent home. Um, Klopp tells him to go out on loan. You know, he ignores that. You know, I think when he when he refused to go out on loan, you thought it's a long way back for him now because you know he, to go against the manager's wishes like that. And you know, I can understand his frustration because he's been back in full training a few weeks, and you know it probably is. I can understand he probably feels it's very harsh that he hasn't had a run out, say for the under twenty threes. But you know, with you know, after after the six months he's had, he just needs to keep to keep his nose clean, and 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 knuckle down. And sadly, that's proved beyond him. And Klopp was clearly riled by this this outburst on social media and talking about my situation being a lie. Um, and, and it's difficult to see any way back for him now because you know, as Joe said, you know, even even if even even if you judge it purely on footballing ability, you know, I think Lovren and Matip have shown that they're going to be the first choice combination. Clavin's done really well. Lucas, who take about away that one mistake against Leicester, and he's he's proved himself that he can do a job there. Young Joe Gomez, really exciting young defender, is only a couple of weeks away from being back in full training. So I don't think Liverpool need Sacco, um, and I think he probably will end up moving on either in January or next summer. And I think he'll be left to reflect on uh, on making some very bad mistakes and, and missing out on what I think is going to be a very exciting period for the club. So final question then, yes or no? Joe, can you see Sacco ever playing for Liverpool again? Yes or no? No. No. James? No. And I'm also a no, which means that I fully expect him to see him on the bench against Swansea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that will end it there. Uh, thanks for joining us and join us again later in the week where we will be previewing the Swansea game. Cheerio.